Alright, well now it's that time again where uh, we just, me and Peter, yeah, take some time to do a bit of more of a deep dive Turn the into the lights e- down low. Nope. Leave <laughs> the lights up, please. Um, they have bad vision, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time to do another character portrait. Yay! This episode we are doing a deep dive into Kara Syndulla. That's what the character portrait is on this week. Did you say ep- Kara Syndulla? Sure did. <laughs> It's Hera Syndulla. Um, whatever. We're leaving that in. Yep. So Hera Syndulla is a Twi'lek revolutionary who became a central figure in the early rebellion against the Galactic Empire and the formation of the Alliance to Restore the Republic. Da, 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 da. Bing! She was <laughs> born on the planet Ryloth, Ryloth to Sham Syndulla and her mother, the unnamed beauty from this stained glass painting we'll see later in the series. Oh, Mike, that's really beautiful. I know, that's why I put it in here. Um, so her father, Sham, Cham, was a freedom fighter that we see first in Season 1, Episode 21 of The Clone Wars, entitled Liberty of Ryloth, where Mace Windu has to convince him to help save the capital city from drone destruction. So the Syndulla roots run pretty deep in the Star Wars universe. They go all the way back to the Clone Wars, where we first meet the Syndulla family. Mm, cool. Yeah, that was cool. That's actually a cool episode. Yeah. Um, so when Hera was a little girl during the time of the Clone Wars, she and her mother hid underground while the Separatist droid army occupied her homeworld. Uh, the Republic clone army came, and Hera was she famously looked up at their ships and decided in that moment to become a pilot. Uh, And this prompted her to leave her family and home to pursue what she loved. Uh, But there is more to come on that very soon, as we will soon be taking a look at those episodes specifically where all of this happens. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to leave some of her childhood out for now because an episode pretty much is going to divulge that. All right. Cool. Uh, but what I do want to get into is a little bit of the book A New Dawn, where Hera's character is fleshed out a bit more. And uh, yeah, so the, re- the rebellion, uh, in the rebellion, uh, Syndulla led on Lothal, attracted the attention of Tarkin and Vader, but it also gained notice by Bail, Bail Organa. Oh, here's a, there's the time together. And his efforts to coordinate, uh, he tried to coordinate efforts between various rebel cells in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so one of, Sin, so Syndulla's rebel cell was definitely a prominent one that he took notice of. Um, so some of the cells that sh- they attached with were the Phoenix Squadron, which we will see again later. I'm going to leave that. Um, but kind of to jump into that book, A New Dawn, so following the rise of the Galactic Empire, Hera became a like a killer starship pilot and he left her homeworld in 12 BBY. She joins a rebel network led by the mysterious figure known as Fulcrum, who we'll talk about that character later. Mm. So, and that's what I call a tease. A tease. So despite her differences <laughs> with her father uh, about Ryloth's struggle, she was still in Inspired by his reputation and work as a rebel leader to follow his path. So as a rebel operative, Hera tailed the movements of this one count named Count Dentrius Vidian, who is the main 
and kind of the main, one of the two main antagonists of A New Dawn. And that's a weak name, by the way, Count Vidian. I don't know. It sounds like a bit like Count Vivian. It sounds like a medication. Yeah. Better check with your doctor before you <laughs> before you up. take Vidian. So but anyway, so Vidian is one of Palpatine's efficiency experts who was charged with speeding up the production <laughs> on Imperial Worlds and was had this reputation for his like disregard disregard towards the lives of other sentients. I bet he worked on the executor. Man. Because that's where you go to get Well what I'm confused about is he's a count. Is his title. <laughs> so he's a vampire. Yes. I think that's canon, right? All the counts are vampires? Team Edward. Okay, cool. I don't know. I'm like, is, is a count an imperial title? Or if to me, <laughs> to me, it feels like a landowner title. That sounds like a deep dive for like when we're in season three and run okay. out of ideas. We're like, now we're going to go into the exciting world of counts. Well, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, it seems like a, a, like a royal family kind of like landowner title not yeah. like a i don't know so anyways count vidian right. he's the main antagonist so hera is tracking him down and so um yeah so after she learns that vidian is visiting the uh, the gorse system and this is where a lot of the book takes place so she goes there in the ghost um and hera manages to infiltrate the mining moon of cinda and again, and this is where a lot of stuff happens, mm. which was the home to a vast reserves of thor thorolide. And this is a crystal that's used in the manufacturing of deflector shields. Ugh. So like, that's the resource they're after. But to get this resource, they have to like blow up a ton of this planet. <laughs> but Vidian doesn't really care. Yeah. And so Hera and Kanan uh, eventually meet up uh, for the first time in this book and they kind of work together. Um, and they managed to infiltrate uh, the Moonglow polychemical in, and I love this part, in hover in a hover bus <laughs> with the help of this guy, uh, Okadai Garrison, who worked for the company as a bus driver. So there are bus drivers, as we've, we All saw right. in the episode before and in this episode. There is the Empire. They're kind of socialists. They're, there seems to be free public transportation. Oh, so maybe they weren't all that bad. Maybe they weren't all that bad. Huh. Just throwing this out there. Anyways, all this stuff starts going down. The book's honestly a little boring. But uh, after they... Um, uh, so Kanan at one point gets trapped, uh, captured by this Imperial Navy cabin captain named Ray Sloan. And she shows up in other places. And she's yeah. fairly interesting. Where do you... And I was going to ask you, so what do you know? Do you remember Ray Sloan? Um, I remember the name. I don't remember, but I remember her. She was in the Aftermath books. She was in all three of the Aftermath, Aftermath books. I don't remember the details because that book was confusing, but I remember yep. she was in it. And then wasn't she in Lost Stars too? No, but the, the I thought that as well. The uh -huh. Because the main characters, remember, it's Thane, Kyrell, and Sienna Ray. Oh, uh, and no I, relation? No relation okay. to Ray Sloan. They're just names. I don't know. Their names just sound familiar. Yeah. Um, and so Ray Sloan was in the Aftermath books. She's also in the Kanan comics. And so mm -hmm. you might remember her from those. And she actually like pops up in the Kanan comics and is like, remember me? Like, I'm here to take revenge. <laughs> and you wouldn't know why that's important unless you've read A New Dawn. That's weird. So it's a little weird when she pops up. But. I went back and I read those comics after I read A New Dawn and it was kind of nice, hmm. but it takes a lot of background knowledge for that to be like 
to have any implications that are cool. Anyways, uh, I'm going to skip through a lot of this. Basically, Kanan escapes Sloane's Imperial Star Destroyer that's named the Ultimatum. Cool name. I like that. And Vidian uh, is defying Imperial orders for personal gain. And Sloane, who's a loyal Imperialist, stops him. And Vidian is killed in the process. Hera and Kanan escape. Um, while they're trying to escape, as all these explosions are going off on Cinda, um, Kanan uses the Force to save Hera from this falling catwalk and reveals and confirms he does have Force powers. Um, so after transporting you know, uh, people off and getting them safe, Hera and Kanan decide to travel together as rebels on her ship. The ghost. Ooh. Um, and following this conflict, Hera, Kanan, and Chopper formed the rebel cell known as Spectres, based on the ghost. Eventually joined up the Lasat warrior and a former Mandalorian Imperial cadet who we know well. So there's a little snapshot Sick. of Harrison Dula. Some Easter eggs. Everyone knows this, but if for some reason you're not a Star Wars nerd and you don't know this, she pops up in Rogue One, mm -hmm. right? Just her name over the... Uh, we're on the rebel base, and you hear over the speaker. Them General Sanula, Patron General Sanula. Exactly. Like that. You hear that in the background. Yeah. So um, she pops up in a couple places. That's cool. I love that she pops up in Rogue One. But there's Hera. Nice. You know what that is, Mike? That's so, a wizard, Mike. Thanks, dog. <laughs> How do you like them, Jogans? <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. Uh, are you ready to get deep? I'm eating an apple, but I'm still ready. <laughs> you animal. All right, it's time to do a deep dive into the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Yay! So, I mean, this episode doesn't have anything super specific. It's pretty standalone, so I thought this would be a good chance for us to talk about a thing that we love. The, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is the Expanded Universe. Yeah. Cool. So... The first recognized EU content was Star Wars from the adventures of Luke Skywalker. It was a novelization of the screenplay for the first Star Wars film. It was released six months before the film and uh, it was attributed to George Lucas, but it was actually written by Alan Dean Foster. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it basically, it followed the original story and but one of the interesting things about it is it was based off George Lucas's script, but Foster was in charge of kind of fleshing out some of the details of the galaxy. So like the races and the languages and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Some of the technology, like George Lucas just basically let Foster do all this stuff and the book became a huge hit. So this is before the movie was even out. It was only out for three months and it sold out of its first run. I think it went on to sell like 250 million copies in the first year. I don't know. Is that a lot? You wouldn't know. You book nerd. I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> inflation? I don't know. Yeah. But it sounds like a lot. So the second piece of EU is this thing. George Lucas wasn't convinced that Star Wars would even be that popular. And he was nervous that he wasn't going to be able to get funding for a second movie. 
So he commissioned Foster, the same guy, to write this book called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And basically, it was a book, but it would act as a script for a low-budget sequel if the movie flopped and they couldn't get funding for a second one. So it's like super standalone. It's an adventure of like Leia and Luke on a swamp planet and Vader and some some stormtroopers are chasing them. And it mainly takes place on one planet. So you can see kind of where it'd be low budget. Um, but that was super popular, too. Obviously, Star Wars became a big hit. So they went on to make Empire instead of that. But what it did was that book heralded this greater EU. So. Marvel started their first line of Star Wars comics in 1977. And they're awesome. I have them. Ooh, yeah. They're actually credited for saving Marvel from bankruptcy in the late 70s because yeah. Marvel wasn't doing very well. But that series was a huge hit. Um, so it keeps going. It keeps going. But the big dog, the big kahuna, the big zonhuna, if you will. What? In 1991... Timothy Zahn, and I'm so stoked to, to get into this eventually, you were banned from reading anything about this or doing any research on Thrawn because you just revealed you didn't know Thrawn was an EU character. Uh, yeah, I didn't read. I've read some of the, I've read a lot of the EU books, but yeah, I've not read any Tim, Timothy Zahn EU. Yep. So the big dog in the fight in 1991 Star Wars is in a huge rut in the late 80s. Toys aren't selling. Books aren't selling. It's kind of, people are afraid it's dead. But then in 1991, Timothy Zahn wrote Heir to the Empire, which takes place after Return of the Jedi and introduces two of the most iconic EU characters ever. Mara Jade, who is Luke Skywalker's wife. Not into it. Don't like her. And Thrawn. I mean, I like Mara Jade. I just don't like that it's Luke Skywalker's wife. Yeah, I like him having like a monastic quality. And yeah, I, I get I just, that. I don't, I don't like just, I don't know. Yeah, but um, it that blew up. It reached the number one on the New York Times bestseller list, and it jump started a huge EU rush in the nineties. They actually um, suggest that because of the Thrawn trilogy and the newfound interest in the nineties. That is what convinced George Lucas to do the prequels. Well, thanks, Timmy. Yeah, so I'm not a huge fan of those books, but I am happy that he did it so we can get the prequels, hmm. even if they're a little mixed. So even at this time, though, the only sources considered canon were the screenplays, the films, the radio dramas, and official novelizations. And, and my home movies. And Mike's home movies. <laughs> um, but... George Lucas's team admitted that they read everything and, quote, much of it is taken into account in the overall continuity, including Mike's home movies. Yep. yep. So the only rule was George Lucas banned anyone from telling stories of principal characters before A New Hope because he didn't want anything to clash with the story he was going to tell about Palpatine and, uh, and Anakin in the prequels. So... In 2004, USA Today wrote that 1,100 Star Wars titles had been published. That's so many. Yeah. How much of that is complete garbage? <laughs> so a, high, a high number of that is garbage. Yeah, fair. Um, 
So, but and, and I wonder, like, how many of those are novels, like fully fleshed out novels? How many of these are short stories, or like, I I want to see the breakdown of like. It's a lot because I remember going into like the science fiction area of my library when I was a kid, and it was just shelves and shelves of Star Wars books. Yeah, and a lot of it, I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, again, this is one of the reasons I like the Disney wipe. Yeah, well, I'm you're okay you're, with it. You're you're leading me right into my next point. In 2012, Disney bought Lucasfilms. Whooping! And they announced in a sweeping mandate, very Palpatine-esque, that nothing is canon except for the Clone Wars film, the Clone Wars animated series, and the regular films. And I'm totally okay with that. I, at first, was really upset. Yeah. It's like, I'm more upset for other people than myself. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love that there are so much Star Wars to be read and explored outside of the films. And I'm really enjoying now more than ever reading comics and books. But one of the reasons I really like doing it is because I know it's canon mm -hmm. and I know it's not speculation. And I really like that. Yeah. And one of the things that was off-putting about the old EU to me was it was like, what divergent timeline do I want to jump on? And so I feel bad for the people who spent so much time reading and looking at everything. Those are the people I feel bad for. Because if all of a sudden the canon I've been reading and studying is totally wiped, yeah, I'm PO'd. Yeah, I get that. There was a ton of controversy about it. I think my opinion is there's just so much to wade through. and. George Lucas even said that that stuff wasn't technically canon. Um, so, I mean, I get that you put a lot of time into this, but can't really be mad because it was never officially recognized. Yeah, also get a life. <laughs> right? Get, oh, get a life. Nerds. Don't just sit around talking about podcasts. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's Freudian. <laughs> But when they wiped out the EU, they said that all the old stuff are now considered legends within the Star Wars universe. And a new structured EU would be rolled out by the Lucasfilm Story Group. So the Lucasfilm Story Group are 11 individuals who are tasked with aligning all stories within the new EU and planning a future vision for the universe. So they recently came out and said they're, th they're thinking about the next 10 years of Star Wars stories. Fun fact, yeah. a lot of stuff is being pulled out of Legends for the new EU now, which is, I think is really cool. Sure. But a couple of things were taken out of Legends by George Lucas himself, like Coruscant was not created by George Lucas. It was actually created by Timothy Zahn in the, in the Thrawn trilogy. And Lucas liked that, so, that's, so huh. he used that as the capital when he made the prequels, which huh. is pretty neato. I'm, I like that Timothy Zahn got to write the new Thrawn book. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, too. It's, like, good. I don't know. Because it would have been such a... It's like a symbiote a... circle, some would say. I don't know what that means. Um, but I would have been so ticked O if I had, you know, written the Thrawn trilogy and then wasn't allowed to come back and write the new one. It would have been such a middle finger. And, like, mm -hmm. I'm glad that Timothy Zahn is recognized for the work he's done. Yeah. Good. Good. good yep. Great job, guys. Cool. All right, and that's all I got. Well, awesome. Well, well thank you, Peter. 
for that uh, EU deep dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, please follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook by searching for Rebels Rebels Pod. Follow us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Tell us what we can improve upon. I thrive on constructive criticism, but just don't criticize me. (laughs) Um, Uh, Thanks to Tony for coming on the episode. Again, you can reach him on Twitter at Tony Norton, all one word. Mm -hmm. And got any poetic words for us, Mike? Well, just that. Until next time, be brave out there and don't look back. Don't look back. Peace. Bye.